the hymn writer does actually have things in common with me. Mm. Weirdly. Mm. Uh, so his name is Edward Perronet. And that's your name. Yes. My <laughs> name is secretly Edward Perronet. Kara <laughs> is short for my middle name, Charles. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to another episode of Him Partial, the podcast where we talk all things church music. I'm Monet Funka. And I'm Cara Devro. And this week we're kicking off our new series entitled The Hope of Glory with a song called All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name. We'll be talking about a good friend of the Wesleys, whether this hymn is about the ascension or the second coming, and who exactly is commanded to worship Jesus. But first, if you are listening to us for the first time, or for some odd reason, you have yet to join the Hymn Partial family, all of our info and episodes can be found at hymnpartial.com. There, you can sign up for our free weekly newsletter and be the first to hear all of our exciting news. Good content comes at a cost, though, and at the moment, we're absorbing all that for you. But in order to bring you more and more great episodes, bonuses, and epic guests, we need your help. Head over to ko-fi.com slash impartial to support us financially. You can either give a one-off gift or become a monthly member and join the tier named after your favorite hymn writer. Every little bit helps. Yep. Uh, and thank you to those who have been very generous in yes. helping us on Kofi as well. Because we do have costs. We like mm-hmm. cost to host websites. Like electricity is really expensive at the moment. <laughs> yes. Um, all sorts. And we love bringing you guys good content. Um, and we want to keep doing that. Yes. And we want to keep bringing you better content as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, every little helps. Today we're talking about All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name. And I think it's probably one of the best known Maybe best is too much. It's, it's like a really well-known hymn in English. Um, it's actually been called the National Anthem of Christendom. What? Do you know this one? Yeah. I only know this weird version that I was humming earlier and you were like, oh, what's yeah, this nonsense at here? Her. <laughs> yeah. I think I've heard that as well and it was okay, but it's just, yeah. Okay. I bet most of us have no idea who wrote it though. Like a lot of people will have heard of it, but you'll have no idea who it was by I didn't um because I just assume I'm like if it's a good hymn it could be Isaac Watts or it could be uh William Cooper yeah and then half the time it's not <laughs> well probably more than half the time <laughs> two-thirds of the time but a good chunk of the time it is one of the two of them that's crazy um and then like another two percent of the time it's Paul Gerhardt because I like him too <laughs> anyway um the hymn writer does actually have things in common with me Mm. weirdly mm. uh so his name is edward perronet and that's your name yes my <laughs> name is secretly edward perronet Kara <laughs> is short for my middle name charles <laughs> no it was a french surname but he was born in england okay that was the that was the connection i see i appreciate that yeah except that his family was swiss huguenots actually going back they're the ones that were kind of the OG Protestants pre-Martin Luther um, and during the Reformation as well. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them fled France, Switzerland, those sorts of places to escape persecution during the Reformation. So his family came over at that point um, to England. They kept their name. And by the time he was born in 1726, his family had already been settled and established in England. So he wasn't French himself. Mm-hmm. Don't think he spoke it, but he might have done. Who knows? Mm. 
Um, but that that's kind of the background he came from. Mm-hmm. He's an interesting character. He seems to be one of those people who had quite a strong personality that wasn't always easy to get along with. Mm. Um, his dad was a minister in the Church of England and good friends with the Wesley brothers. So Edward was kind of really quite strongly influenced by them. And he actually became a preacher himself. Okay. So he was ordained into the Church of England first and served in the parish of the Countess of Huntingdon, who was well known at the time for putting a lot of money into the church. I was going to say, is that the rich lady who's That's like the rich lady, yeah. She yeah. bankrolled um, Top Lady as well. Okay. Another hot-headed hymn writer. <laughs> Except Perronet was more conviction than hot-headed. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Anyway, if you're interested in her, actually, because she's come up a couple of times, you can read a good biography of her with Banner of Truth. It's called Selina, Countess of Huntingdon. Okay. Mm. Uh, they recently redid the cover. It's very nice. Okay. A lot nicer than the old one. Anyway, his uh, Edward's dad was minister of church in England, good friends with the Wesley brothers. That would have influenced Edward. I don't know about his conversion. There's not a lot about him. Mm-hmm. Um. But Edward fell out of the Countess's good graces when he wrote a satire about the Church of England, which is no surprise. Because when when you're funded by a lady who's throwing money at the Church of England and then you write a satire mocking the Church of England, you know... I thought you were saying it wasn't a surprise that he wrote the satire. And I was like, wait, why? It wasn't a surprise that she was like, <laughs> No, uh, that she had a falling no. out with him. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. clearly she was a supporter in many ways. So he ended up leaving the parish that he was minister of and he went over to join the Wesleys as a Methodist minister. Mm-hmm. And he was controversial even there though. <laughs> Actually, I have a really funny story about him. I'll tell you in a minute. I was uh-huh. going to... Yeah, he loved and he did love and respect the Wesleys and he was very close with them, but mm-hmm. he disagreed with them on some important issues. And I kind of understand. So one of those was that Edward believed that Methodist ministers should be allowed to give out communion, mm-hmm. which John Wesley strongly disagreed with. Okay. Well. I'm not sure of John Wesley's exact theology, but there was something weird about only certain people are able to distribute communion and just it's not just for every minister to do that well do methodists believe what the catholics catholics believe that it literally turns into the flesh no i'm pretty sure they don't i'm pretty sure they're protestant in that respect but i've seen this i studied in the highlands in scotland and they're a lot more um stricter presbyterian Mm -hmm. and i remember occasionally there would be communion i went to a christian college Mm -hmm. and occasionally they would do communion which i don't know what i feel about that now because should that be just in church but um (laughs) there would always be this kind of discussion about which of the lecturers could actually administer that because some of them were ordained some of them weren't Mm -hmm. some of them were presbyterian some of them weren't and in the end what they did was usually it was someone who was ordained because they didn't want to upset folk it was Mm. very very rare it was like once or twice a year tops as far as i remember but there was always this kind of like who's able to do that who's here that's qualified so i don't know if it was something like that i have a funny random aside about communion so 
when I went to a Jesuit university in California hmm. and um, for our commencement ceremonies for graduation, they had us in like the, like the, like the gym. That's not the right word. The court where they play basketball, but it was like all done up like bleachers mm-hmm. on bleachers. It was like really like everybody in there. And at some point they were like, all right, it's time for communion. And I was like, well, I'm a Christian because I was a Christian. And I was like, so let me take communion. And it literally was, and a lot of churches do this. I realize that this is, this is maybe foreign to a Baptist because we don't do this, but a lot of churches do this where they literally just had like a dude at the end of the aisle with a cup. And he was like, here, take a sip. And he had like a cloth and he would just wipe it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you'd take a sip in the cloth. And I was like, ew. <laughs> so here's a similar story. We, I went to Girls Brigade when I was younger and we visited the church one time. I can't remember why, but we visited the church where that happened. Mm-hmm. And I think it was Episcopalian mm-hmm. and it had a lady minister and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but before the kids went out to Sunday school that week, they were doing communion. And I'm not joking you. You went down the front because the door was at the front to go out to Sunday school. You went down the front and you queued up and you got given your wafer. Mm-hmm. And then you went to the next queue and they had the big bowl thing mm-hmm. of proper, it was proper wine. Because I remember, because <laughs> like I got to the front and then I was like, mm. <laughs> I was like, I'm not drinking out of that. And then just like skipped out the queue and didn't take it. But yeah, they had like a big sort of chalice thing. And then they were just tipping it for the kids. (laughs) And then wiping it with a cloth. Anyway. Kids are excited to go to to Sunday school. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. um, Maybe it makes them more docile so that Uh, they're behaved. Anyway, I don't know why Wesley felt that way but Perrine did not and so eventually they parted ways it wasn't just that issue but that was the one that I understood most so mm-hmm. this isn't saying much <laughs> so Perrine became a minister of a dissenting church that just means an independent church in Canterbury where he served until his death in 1792 he spent pretty much his whole life preaching and it's reported that his last words were glory to God in the height of his divinity Glory to God in the depth of his humanity. Glory to God in his all-sufficiency. Into his hand I commit my spirit. Wow. I don't know how people have time for all these fancy last words. Do people think about this? Is this a thing? They have to. He probably was like, let me just draft this. I know I'm dying. Okay. And then he just refused to say anything else after he's... (laughs) I saw a hilarious comedy sketch where... The guy's like, bring in the scribe to record my last words. And then he says it and he's like, on the way I'd close the door. And he's like, okay. And he's writing it down. And he's like, no, no. <laughs> anyway, but to give you an idea of the kind of guy he was, John Wesley thought he was a good preacher. Edward Perrinet was a good mm. preacher. And he was like, you've got to preach in my church. You've got to preach in my church. And Edward was like, no, um, I'm not good enough. I, I don't want to do it. Not interested. I love mm. you, bro. But no. And eventually... They were both pretty smart men. So eventually, Perrine was just visiting John Wesley, and he was there on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. And John Wesley's doing the service, and he's leading from the front. And then he goes, okay, now it's time for the sermon. We've got a guest preacher today. It's Edward. <laughs> and Edward's like... You're joking. I hate your guts. <laughs> but he's also really smart, and yeah. he's not going to be like, no, in front of John Wesley. So mm-hmm. he comes up into the pulpit, and he announces, I'm about to preach the best sermon that has ever been preached. (laughs) 
And he proceeds to read out the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> and then he just sits down. <laughs> and this is, yeah, that's, that's kind of them in a nutshell. Yeah. Like, that's what we're on about. Um, so, yeah, interesting guy. That's why I say he's kind of like one of those personalities that's kind of really interesting. And I'm like, I don't know how easy he would have been to get on with, but he also must have been quite a funny guy mm. at times. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so that's the guy that wrote this this hymn that's pretty well known. Yeah. Um, but interestingly, he didn't start writing hymns until a bit later in his life and he didn't want credit for them. Yeah. So he would publish them anonymous, anonymously in a series of small books. So he'd write a bunch and then he would publish them. He put them in a little book. He published them anonymously. And in one of these books, sac Songs Sacred and Moral, we find today's hymn. Mm. Um, yeah, it's really interesting. Like, he seems like a guy who had strength of conviction and strength of character, maybe a bit much sometimes. But he wrote hymns to help the church. And he made this point of not telling people it was him because it was more important to him that people worship God than sang hymns specifically written by him. Yeah. Um, yeah, this attitude also comes through like in that story about him preaching. He's kind of yeah. like, yeah, I don't care what you think of me. Yeah. Um, yeah, he comes off as almost obnoxious sometimes, but sometimes he comes off as very humble. <laughs> Whatever. His heart comes through in, in this, this hymn in particular, mm -hmm. all hail the power of Jesus name. And I suspect... Perrine wouldn't really care for us to dwell on his life too long anyway. <laughs> so we're just going to move on to the hymn. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. There's not a ton to say about the writing of this hymn. It took people time to even realize who wrote it. It did become popular pretty quickly, but the growth was organic. It mm. wasn't like some of the other hymns we've talked about where it was widely used in a crusade or something and then people started singing because they heard it all the time. Mm. It was just a good song. Mm -hmm. People liked it and shared it like you should do with this episode. Oh, plug! <laughs> uh, yeah. So the words, the words are solid mm -hmm. and it's a triumphant song. So it appealed to people and it is spread across the world and it never really lost its popularity. You still hear it regularly today. Mm. Its first iteration appeared in the November 1779 edition of the Gospel magazine. And that's about as close as we can get to putting a date on it. Which is interesting because that magazine was originally run by Augusta's top lady. Oh, top lad. Top lad. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I guess they must have known each other or maybe connected through the Countess of Huntingdon. Probably, yeah. yeah. Anyway, it was originally titled On the Resurrection, the Lord is King. Hmm. And it had eight verses. Glory. And there are three different tunes for it. Uh, Coronation by an American composer, Miles Lane by an English composer, and Diadem, which is by a Manchester boy called James Eller. Miles Lane is the tune I know it by. And I suspect it may get sung to Coronation across the pond. Hmm. I don't know. I looked up the different tunes and Diadem is the most painful one to sing. <laughs> it's just really like, I don't know what's going on there. <laughs> the other two are fine, but Miles Lane's the one I know. Yeah. Oh, random bit pop culture though. Bing Crosby performed a song on his album, Beloved Hymns. 
Oh, oh, Bing. We love Bing. His great, great grandmother? Does she have kids? Was Fanny Crosby. Mm, yeah. I never made that connection between the two Crosby until there you told are, me yeah, that. No, they, yeah, they're related. That explains things. Okay, let's just, let's have a look at the words. Monet, I know it's a lot of verses. Do you mind reading them? Yes. Thank you. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem to crown him Lord of all. Let high-born seraphs tune the lyre, and as they tune it, fall before his face who tunes their choir and crown him Lord of all. Crown him, ye morning stars of light, who fixed this floating ball. Now hail the strength of Israel's might and crown him Lord of all. Crown him, ye martyrs of your God, who from his altar call extol the stem of Jesse's rod and crown him Lord of all. Ye seed of Israel's chosen race, ye ransomed of the fall, hail him who saves you by his grace and crown him Lord of all. Hail him, ye heirs of David's line, whom David Lord did call, the God incarnate, man divine, and crown him Lord of all. Sinners, whose love can never forget, the wormwood and the gale, gall, excuse me, go spread your trophies at his feet and crown him Lord of all. Let every tribe and every tongue that bound creation's call now shout in universal song, the crowned Lord of all. Hmm. Yeah. Um, it's kind of surprising the lyrics haven't been updated. Really? They haven't really. There are a few changes that have been made, but there's still a lot of like these and angels prostrate falling and mm -hmm. stuff, mm -hmm. which is interesting because it's such a popular song and yet it's retained some of this older language. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the significant edits were done back in its early days. So you got words like prostrate and diadem and extol, extol, extol. I say extol, but maybe extol. Maybe it's an accent thing. Maybe an maybe it's an accent thing. And uh, gall. Yeah. Which I knew because it rhymed with all. <laughs> yeah, I was like, but gal. I wouldn't have known that. <laughs> I would have said that as well. But I was like, it rhymes with all. <laughs> uh, and you might know some of those or all of those because some of you guys are mm -hmm. are like that <laughs> but they're not really part of our everyday vocabulary no. but they also haven't been updated mm -hmm. yeah the overarching theme of this song is a timeless one uh, it's one we'll be singing in one form or another throughout eternity mm -hmm. it's a call for all creation to worship god as our true lord and king which is a good song to sing we're gonna kind of look more thematically at this song just because it's so long and we don't have a ton of time <laughs> but in the first verse we are immediately called to praise uh, but it's interesting because he doesn't say praise Jesus or praise God. He says we're to praise Jesus's name, which is fair. Mm. I mean, it's the name above all other names. Yeah. yeah. But it's also like an interesting distinction, I think. Yeah. Um, and we see it in scripture through Acts 4.12, which says there's no other name by which to be saved. Mm -hmm. uh, 1 Timothy 2.5 tells us that its name has the power to secure us. Hebrews 2.18 tells us that this name has the power to uphold and help us. Mm. So, you know, no wonder he's worthy of praise. Mm. And this whole hymn is basically just a call to recognize that there is power in this name. Mm. 
And this theme is very reminiscent of Philippians 2, 9 to 11. Monet, would you mind reading that for us? Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. It's a wonderful image, by the way, just that that passage of scripture. I mean, you see it in movies and TV and even in real like coronations and stuff, you Mm -hmm. see everyone bow, right? And it's just, it's so powerful because you're like, they're recognizing the the one who rules them and to have this uh, image from scripture um, and in, in this song, let angels prostrate fall. Like, oh, even the supernatural beings that mm. we uh, know to be powerful, I mean, they're like, nope. When people meet angels in the Bible, often they're like, <gasps> and then they like fall down. Yeah. And like, these are the guys that are falling down before God. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah, it's quite something. Yeah. And I mean, basically the song calls different groups to worship God in each mm-hmm. verse. You've got angels, you've got seraphs, morning stars, martyrs, seed of Israel, heirs of David, sinners. Mm-hmm. And then finishing with just this overarching every tribe and tongue. Mm-hmm. And no one is excluded from this command to praise God and no one gets to exclude themselves. Mm-hmm. There's no uh, free pass on this one. <laughs> just saying. Mm-hmm. But um, although Perine entitled this hymn on the resurrection, the Lord is King, I think there's a very strong argument for this being about the second coming rather than the resurrection, although that's important too. Mm. And I know I should be careful in arguing with authorial intent. <laughs> and I get that we should praise him because he's finished his work and is seated at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, as Hebrews says. But I would also suggest that the lyrics of this song won't be fulfilled completely until the second coming. And that's when yeah. every tribe and tongue are going to sing God's praise, right. as they should, whether they want to or not. Yes. That's my case. And resurrection for us is yet to come. Yes. So it is that, you know, that double meaning Mm. slash reality that while Christ is resurrected, we have not been. Not yet. Yeah. When we are, let every tribe and every tongue that bound creation's call now shout in universal song. Mm-hmm. The crowned Lord of all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's a case for both, I guess. If you have a strong opinion on this, either way, I'm we interested. Don't care. We well, don't care. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm interested in the same way as like I will read your comment and be like, hmm. But interesting. Yeah, there is a little bit of there is there is a little bit of interpretation allowed when you're uh, critiquing a bit of art. Because sometimes authorial intent and cultural context and, in this case, theological Whoa. truth, they they bleed into it yes. maybe more than the author wanted. But, but also, like, Christ's resurrection is the first fruits of what is going to yes. happen. And so there is that element. But also, as part of my degree, I did study postmodernism and I also studied hermeneutics. And so I'm really careful to just... Not totally dismiss what the author meant at the time. <laughs> no. But um, but even in the Bible, like there is that connection between Jesus' resurrection in what is now our past mm. and our resurrection in 
the future. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, there is a lot of repetition in this hymn, in case you didn't notice. Um, <laughs> yeah, you may have noticed, we don't normally, if you're familiar with this and you were listening to the lyrics, mm. you may notice we don't actually normally sing all the verses. The second verses with the seraphs and angels is often left out, perhaps because it's maybe unintentionally a little bit comical. Like the seraphs fall down, they're like trying to tune their instruments and mm-hmm. then the Lord of all is trying to get them together to play a tune and they're kind of falling down and stuff. <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's not the strongest of the eight verses, I think. <laughs> Just saying. But I have quite a visual imagination, yeah. so the picture's funny to me. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of throne imagery in this hymn. Mm-hmm. But there's also a lot that's reminiscent of the Psalms. And one of the interesting things about the Psalms is that they often talk about God as more than just the God of Israel. He's the God of the whole universe. Um, And there are multiple places where even the Psalms talk about how the nations, which in Psalms language means everybody not Israel, Mm -hmm. will worship God and be under his judgment. And this is particularly emphasized in the song because of the verse by verse repetition of Lord of all. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's funny, one of the impressive things about this hymn is that Perrine found so many things to rhyme with all. Yeah, yes. <laughs> and there, there are scholars who think this is tedious and <laughs> overdone and they're like, oh, he's really just forcing this. And others that argue that it works just fine. I don't mind. Well, but... to be fair, three times he rhymes it with fall. Does he really? Yeah, three times he uses fall. Okay, so he's not as original as you might think. <laughs> no, maybe that's why and we're two, all So verses. two times is call, three times is fall. Oh, Edward. Four, no, three times is call, three times is fall. So he's really rhyming it with the so same two So six words. out of eight or two words. Yes. <laughs> okay, I take it back. Uh, I'm not sure how I feel about it. I clearly didn't notice. Um, <laughs> I didn't either. Just <laughs> but if constant repetition is how you're going to hammer that truth home. Mm-hmm. Then I can't be mad about it. Nah. Which brings me to the main changes made to the lyrics. The lyrics Monet read were the edited version from Rippin's hymn book. Rippin wrote another hymn that we've talked about. I can't remember which one, but he compiled a hymn book. This was in it. He made two main changes. One's not that significant. The other is more interesting because it's a little more theological and a little more subtle. And it's very simple. It's just a rearranging of words. Perrine wrote Seed of Israel's Chosen Race. Rippon changed it to Chosen Seed of Israel's Race. What's the difference and why be so pedantic? Good question. It lays an important theological distinction and I can see why Rippon might have done it. So the original Seed of Israel's Chosen Race could imply that all of those who were Israel's descendants were chosen in the sense of saved because mm-hmm. of the next line. Whereas whether Perrine believed that or not, I don't know. Mm. I don't know whether it was just the way he formed the sentence or whether there was that theological thread underneath it. Um, there are those who do believe that. Mm-hmm. And so it's understandable that Rippon would want to kind of make that more clear theologically. Mm-hmm. It's not a huge change in terms of vocabulary or even word order, all it's all the same words, just in a slightly different order. But the implications are vastly different. And um, precision in theology is more important than people realise, especially considering that the next line clarifies that the seed refers to those who are saved, not, say, to Jesus, who is technically, you know, he's the seed of Israel. What Rippon didn't manage to change was the next line. He wanted to make it a remnant weak and small, but Perrine's 
original words prevailed with you ransomed from the fall, Mm -hmm. which is a line I quite like. Hmm. So Perone wrote, ye seed of Israel's chosen race, ye ransomed of the fall. What Ripon changed it to in the end was ye chosen seed of Israel's race, um, ye ransomed of the fall. Okay. Does that make sense? Um, sort of. <laughs> so, so basically, the idea that the chosen seed of Israel's race implies that some of Israel is chosen and some is not. Mm-hmm. Whereas what Peronate had originally wrote could be understood to mean that all of Israel was chosen. Mm. So it's a very small change, but it's actually no. surprisingly important. These things are very important. We've, we say it all the time, what we sing is what we memorize. And if the theology and what we've memorized is bunk, then we we internalize and memorize bad theology. Mm. I, I'm not sure that it was deliberate, no. but just clarifying things and going for clarity mm-hmm. over poetry is sometimes a better option. Mm-hmm. Um, Rippon also changed the last line of that. So he changed it from the crowned Lord of all to crown him Lord of all for consistency so that every verse ends in crown him Lord of all. Mm-hmm. It's fine, whatever. Um, yeah, I find this stuff interesting. Not everybody does, <laughs> but I grew up playing with words like other kids played with Lego. Mm-hmm. So, uh, But you can wake up now. Uh, we're almost done. <laughs> all hail the power of Jesus' name, still widely sung today. But I think it might be one of those songs where we're so familiar with it that we don't really think about it anymore. And I know that's how I felt about it, but that's why we do this show. Um, It makes us think about these things Mm -hmm. and it hopefully makes you think about them a little more too. So this is a great hymn. It's strong, it's triumphant, it's Mm -hmm. hopeful, calls us to worship and Mm -hmm. it also calls us to look forward to the time when Christ returns. Glory! Yay! And every knee will bow. It is, it's the hope of glory. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a wonderful reminder of the power of Christ and the fact that no matter what happens here and now, he wears the crown, he rules the universe and it all ends in glory. So what better <laughs> way to finish than with those words again from Philippians 2, 9 to 11. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. I don't know about you. I'm looking forward to that day. Yes. Yes, yes. And this is a great way, I think, to kind of start off the year, our first series of the year, looking all the way forward. New year, new us. Last new year we year. talked so much about laments for good reason. <laughs> for good reason. And this year we are like, let's start off. Hope of glory. Let's do it. The hope of glory. It is literally our hope in this life and the next. So... We pray that um, this is some uh, song you can add to your playlist when you're feeling like you want to be like, woo, amen. Uh, I know I'll be adding it, but the version that I was singing earlier that annoyed Kara and maybe one of these other versions. It's not that bad. You should look it up, but look up the original as well. Oh, of course, of course, of course. Um, Himpartial.com. Sign up for our free weekly newsletter. Or if you have a few extra bucks, you got some Christmas money and you want to share the love, Go ahead on over to Kofi.com slash impartial, become a Kofi member, or do a one-off, buy us a coffee. And uh, and we hope and pray that this episode has blessed you. And until next week, bye! bye.